had the uh, privilege of doing a lot of wedding ceremonies over the past umpteen years uh, that I've been at McGregor. Um, and at the end of those wedding ceremonies, and probably many of you have been at one of those ceremonies over the years, uh, but at the end of that ceremony, I often, almost always, will reflect back to a challenge that I make to this couple as I'm pronouncing them husband and wife and then the all you may kiss your bride moment. Before that happens, I say this, and it's found out in Matthew 7. And if you want to turn there with me, you certainly can. It's uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's at the end of chapter 7. Jesus says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So I give this illustration I tell them, you know, you're going out of here today and you're going to build your home on something. Make sure it's the rock. And that rock is the word of God. We know that we can build our homes on a lot of different things, but there's nothing like building our home on the foundation of the solid rock. The truth of that scripture bears out because the rain and the storms, they pelt all homes, don't they? It's not one home over the other. All of us suffer those challenges. But the home built on the rock withstood all the storms of life. The home built on the rock is the home that is built on God's word. Psalms tells us in 119, one and two, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimony, who seek him with their whole heart. And if we move down to verse 10, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then 97, oh, how I love your law, the psalmist says. It is my meditation day and night. And then we see in Hebrews, Paul says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Isn't that the truth of God's word? It is powerful. See, the priority of Jesus from the Old Testament through the New Testament is God's word. And we look at our passage this morning found in James 1. James is calling us to understand the priority of God's word. He gives us two great principles this morning. It's a proper reception of the word of God, and it's a proper response to the word of God. So James 1 19. If you have your Bibles or your apps, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 through 27. James says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James says, know this. In other words, you've already experienced the power of God. Because if we look back at verse 18 from last week, James says, of his own will, he brought us forth 
by the word of God that we should be the first fruits of his salvation. So now that you're in Christ, you, you know this, you know the power of the word of God. And we need to submit to that word of God. See, God has brought us forth by the power of his word. He's transformed us by the word of truth. We are the first fruits of his salvation. And you already know this, he says. You know that you are this. This is who you are, your identity in Christ. And then he says, this receiving requires a capacity to listen. He says, be quick to hear. Be quick to hear. It's easy to think of James, um, which is known to have some great moral instruction, great moral teaching. And many see it as a wi the wisdom book. It's, it's full of godly wisdom. But it's so much more than that. It's a revelation of who Jesus is and how Jesus wants us to live. Since the context of our passage this morning is about the word of God, we understand that when James says, be quick to hear, he's be quick to hear the word of God. Be quick to hear God's truth. It's easy to come into environments like this and find so many distractions in life. We live in a distracted world, don't we? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but the truth is probably many, a large percentage of you already in here in the 30 minutes that we've spent together have been tempted to check that little device that you have on your seat, right? We live in a distracted world. We live in an age of distraction. But God wants us to be a good listener to his word. And that idea is to eager listener, to eager to put myself under the teaching of God's word, to be an eager listener as I read God's word, to listen well. And then he says, a controlled tongue, be slow to speak. Now, once again, I don't think it's just some great moral teaching. You know, we've got two ears and one mouth, so it's better to listen than to talk. I don't think that's it. And we all know people that are very quiet people that aren't godly people, right? So it's not necessarily meaning just be quiet, but it's the idea of be careful as God teaches you and instructs you, be careful to run to trying to tell others how to live and what God's word says. We know that we don't, we don't ask somebody too quickly to teach God's word because there's consequences. There's a heaviness to teaching God's word. There's a responsibility to communicate God's truth that is a weight. People will sometimes ask me if I get nervous before I preach or I teach. Um, I don't really think after all these years that I get so nervous anymore. But, and I really have thought about this as I was preparing for this morning's message, it's not nervousness that I feel, but there is a weight of responsibility to stand in this pulpit. There is a weight that I understand the gravity of seeking to communicate God's word accurately and truthfully. I get that responsibility and it doesn't fall on deaf ears of the in tremendous responsibility to communicate Clearly, I so desperately, when I have a passage of scripture, I so desperately want to make sure that I am accurate in communicating what God has given to me. And then James adds this, 
He says, be slow to anger or a calm manner. So he says, you know, be quick to listen, be, be slow to speak, and then slow to become angry. And if you're reading that quickly, you could easily say, well, how does that really fit? I get the slow to, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, but slow to become angry. How does that fit in the context? Well, the word there that James uses is this deep-seated resentment. What could you be resent, resentful of? Well, there are people that get resentful of God's word, don't they? Be slow to be resentful of the truth of God's word. If you've been around church for a long time and you've been in relationships with people, you, as well as I, know people that have left the church because they didn't like what was preached. They didn't like what was taught. They didn't like the word of God. It was offensive to them. They developed a deep-seated resentment to that truth. And so their response to it is just to move on. And James is saying, be careful. Become slow to anger. Check that anger. Some people don't like truth that is preached. Galatians, Paul says this in 4.16. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? If I become your enemy by telling you the truth, truth can be hurtful, can't it? It can wound us. But the most important thing that I can do for you this morning is to tell you the truth. We all live in that context of relationships where you just tell somebody what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. See, God is faithful. He tells us what we need to hear. His word is truth. So James says, don't be resentful of it because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. See, as we listen well and as we're slow to speak and we're slow to become angry, we're transformed. The righteousness of God is revealed in us and it can't happen if you're fighting it and refusing to receive it. And then James says this clean life in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away or putting away, having put aside this wickedness. The point here is it's difficult to receive the word well when our lives are filled with wickedness, sin. Take off this wickedness in order to receive. And the idea was that as in, in that culture at that time, the men would come in and they would be filthy, dirty, hot, sweaty. And so they'd take off their clothes before they entered the house. That taking off before you can receive well. It also became known as this buildup of a wax in your ears. And the idea is that over the course of time, the more that wax builds up in your ears, the harder and harder it is to hear. That wax is sin. As sin builds up in your life, it's harder to hear the truth of God's word. So James says, get rid of any dirt that might accumulate in your life and that plugs up your ears and doesn't allow you to hear the word of God well. So to be a good hearer, you gotta deal with that sin nature in our life. And then he says, a meek and humble spirit, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness, meekness, humbleness. Sin hinders our receiving, but so does an arrogant, haughty attitude toward the word of God. 
I've known so many people through the years that think they know better than God. You know, when you read God's word to them or you're in a Bible study and there's something that they don't like, well, there's justification or manipulation of God's truth. So what they've done in essence is they put themselves on the throne of, as God. They know better than God about his word. And what is that? That's pride, right? They're prideful, arrogant. They simply know better. I think that's why James says so accurately that we need to humbly come before the word of God. We need to submit ourselves to the word of God. We need to be responsive to that word. And it's that implanted word of God that we're responding to. There's a difference between a transplant and an implant, isn't there? Some people have transplants. Probably some people in here have had a transplant, whether it be kidney, lung, or, or whatever. But this is the implanted word of God. God implanted his word in me. And if you are a fellow believer, the word of God has been implanted in you. When does that implant happen? For me, it happened when I was 10 years old. 10 years old, and I was sitting in a church service much like this, although God had been stirring in my heart and working with me for several months. But at 10 years old, I recognized that I was a sinner and that Jesus Christ hung on that cross and shed his blood for my sin and that I needed to repent of my sin and to receive Jesus Christ into my heart to become born again. Without his shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness for me. So I understood the gospel message when I was 10 years old and that's when God's word got implanted in my life. And if you're a follower of Christ at that point of salvation for you, the word of God was implanted in your life. God knew that I needed more than just forgiveness, but I needed to come. He needed to come and live inside of me so I could live a life freely for him. Paul David Tripp says, I need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living inside me because Sin kidnaps the desires of my heart, blinds my eyes, and weakens my knees. So God graces his children with the convicting, sight-giving, desire-producing, and strength-affording presence of the Spirit. What a beautiful reality for all of those, us that are in Christ this morning. To know that the, God has implanted his word in us. But you know... I guess the tragedy of all tragedies would have the word implanted in you and you to ignore that word, to not be receptive to the word of God because it is what's able to save our soul. It's that justification in the past for the past. It's that sanctification right now today and it's the glorification that is to come in that day. So receive. See this whole 19 through 21 is about the way we receive the word of God. It's a call for the believer to be in a right reception of the word of truth, God's word, to listen submissively with a pure heart and a humble heart. And then he moves, James moves to how we should respond to the word. Verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. There's a command here. He says, be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. 
There's an idea of obedience to the truth of scripture, that we need to respond obediently to what God has revealed to us. James Burden, I think, is that there are many people that think they're in a right standing with God because they, they, they do, do certain things, but they're not responding in obedience. And then what he says, he says, they're deceiving themselves. It's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're right with God when we're living in obedient, disobedience. See, the true believer will not be characterized by disobedience to scripture. And I say characterized because I know that all of us, every one of us have those periods or daily periods of time where we're disobedient to God's truth. We are sinners, all of us. But characteristically, there's a response to the word of God that's obedient. We're not hearers only. The idea that James gives us there is hearers, we're kind of an auditor. I, don't, I never audited a class. I sat next to people in college and seminary that audited classes. And those that were auditing the class, they'd show up, they would sit, they would listen, but they didn't have to do the homework, they didn't have to take the test, they didn't have to write the papers, they weren't given a grade. They just listened. And they may have been a great listener, but they had no responsibility, no accountability for that information. See. God doesn't want us to come into and audit the word of God. For we're deceiving ourselves to think that it's okay just to audit God's word. It's a miscalculation of truth. For God wants and desires his people to respond to his word in obedience. We shouldn't be deluded into thinking that hearing is enough. And then James does something amazing. He gives us this analogy of doing. And I brought something that will help you this morning, hopefully remember. Um, piece of aluminum foil. I thought about bringing my wife's full-length mirror, and I thought that could be way too distracting. So I'm going to bring just a piece of aluminum foil. And if you look really closely at the aluminum foil, well, I should tell you first, you know, back when James is writing this, they didn't have mirrors. Do you ever think about that? There were no mirrors. Mirrors didn't come along until probably the 13th or 14th century. And yet James gives us this illustration of mirrors. So how did they have a mirror? Well, they would take some form of metal, whether it be silver, gold, bronze, and they would flatten it out, get it as smooth as they could to be able to see an image of themselves. Now, let me ask you, ladies, especially ladies. How different would our world be if there were no mirrors? Think about that. Some of you are like, let's go back. Sign me up. But that's not our world. But I thought about this. I thought about the, that how they would have to take a piece of metal and smooth it out and then they would look into it. Well, if you go home today and you take out your piece of aluminum foil, I think it'll give you a good example of how difficult it is to really see clearly your image. And here's the idea. I think James understood that reality. And I think he gives us this in, in verses 23 through 25. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in everything he does. See, the idea is that he looks intently into that perfect law. In order to get an accurate picture, you have to look intently into the mirror, the mirror of the word of God. So many of us come to the word of God and we glance over it. We quickly go by it. But I think that James is saying there's got to be an intentionality. You've got to really ponder it. You've got to think about it. You've got to let it dive deep inside of your heart. You can't just glance over it. It's not going to do anything by glancing over it. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the perfect law of liberty, the law that Jesus has given to us. It's a freeing, it's a liberating law. It's not heavy, it's not a weight, it's not a yoke. But it is intentional. And it's the idea of stooping down and looking intently into the word. And there's a purpose in looking intently into the word because it's to transform us. It's to change us. It's to make us into something that we're not. It's to make us more in the image of Christ. See, a healthy person looks into the mirror to do something, don't they? Not just to admire the image, although there may be some of that as well, but there's a goal. There's an intentionality. I look into the mirror because I want to make sure that I don't have anything that is out of place, that's wrong. I want to fix it. A healthy follower of Christ looks into God's word to do something as well. It's not just about storing up facts. It's not figuring out all the information that you can know, but it's about taking that in and then applying it, doing something about it. And then James does something beautiful. He gives us in verses 26 and 27, he gives us this illustration of what it looks like to be a doer of the word. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Couple things. Thinks he's religious. Thinks he's religious. You know, there's a lot of people in our world that can think that they're religious, aren't there? And, and they, they check off boxes, whether it be church attendance, giving, serving, community service. They think that that's religious. If anyone thinks he's religious, those external rituals that one could go through. But James says that those external things that one does without an internal transformation of the heart are useless. And then James gives us these two illustrations. He said that one way that you can tell if the word of God is deep inside and you've received it well is how you control your tongue. Now, James is gonna talk a lot in the book of James about the tongue. Evidently, these tribes that were scattered abroad that he was speaking directly to had some issue with their speech. But this is the first practical way that James says one's gonna know whether the word has been received well is what comes out of their mouth. 
See, the words that we speak reveal our heart, don't they? We can lift up or we can condemn, we can tear down. We can be filled with grace or we cannot be filled with grace. We have many people who look great on the outside, but interior, their language is so ugly and hateful. You want to know whether you're a doer? Listen to what you say. Listen to your conversations. Listen to your words. Listen to the jokes you sell, the retorts that you come out of your mouth. Lofty things, godly things, things that exalt, lift up, and honor Christ are ways that one should be speaking. See, if your speech is seasoned with grace, because that's the way that God transforms a heart and we have a lens to be able to see others through, because when we allow that transformation, our speech is different. Out of the abundance of heart, what? The mouth speaks. Luke tells us in 645, a good per- the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. A lot can be known by the way one speaks. The tongue, if, not, if the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator. The heart is not either. And then the second thing that James gives us is conduct. And I know he says the pure and undefiled religion is this, bidding orphans, orphans and widows. But I think that it's much broader than simply that. There's an idea of that one's conduct, it's taking care of others and certainly those that are less fortunate. It's to love well. It's to love as God would desire us to in conduct. It's doing something for other people. There is an idea of sacrificial obedience to the word of God. It might cost us something. If you want to know if a person is a doer, look what they say and look at how they deal with people. It's a sure indicator of a person's position in Christ and how they're receiving the word of God. You'll see the love of Christ in a doer. You'll see sacrifice. You'll see compassion. You'll see tenderheartedness, kindness, mercy, and grace. Because that's what our Jesus reflects. James says one's religion is useless if it does not impact your speech and your conduct. You can hear all you want, but if it doesn't flow out in response, it's useless. God's word is useless unless it changes our behavior. And truth is that many are deceived into thinking that their religion is enough. Charles Spurgeon says this, I fear we have many such in our congregations, admiring hearers, affectionate hearers, attached hearers, but all the while be it unblessed hearers because we are not doers of the word. James creates this tension and clearly describes what a believer should look like. The tension between hearing and doing. There is a connection between hearing and doing. Hearing is not enough. We must respond. We must be obedient to the word. A call to examine our attitude toward God's word and our response to God's word. Do you love God's word? 
does that love for God's word be put on display by your behavior? A.W. Tozier, pastor and author, says this. There is an evil which, in its effect on the Christian religion, may be more destructive than communism and liberalism combined. It's a pretty powerful statement. It is the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians. So wide is this gulf between theory and practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there is any relation between the two of them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard on Sunday morning the message and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. It appears to me that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. I think Tozier nails it. I think he really sums up this passage in James 1, 19 through 27. It's not enough just to be a hearer. We have to be a doer as well. Are you an effectual doer of the word of God? Have you settled just to listen to the word and that be enough for you? Have you settled for going through religious motions and deceived yourself into thinking that you could check off a box and go all is good with God? God expects and desires and demands and commands us to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer.